Yeah, you all know by now that money is not limitless, yes? Yeah, duh, right? In fact, some of you in this room probably got the, the last stimulus check, didn't you? Or the, the stimmy, as some of the cool kids call it, right? $1,400, whatever it was. Maybe your moms and dads still took that, and they're like, whatever, you're still living under my roof. That's mine. Um, yeah, well, that $1,400 or whatever it was, that, that went away really fast, didn't it? You're like, whoa, $1,400. Imagine everything that I can do with that. But then you realize you start spending money on it, and all of a sudden, that's not $1,400 anymore. It's, it's $800 all of a sudden because you bought something. And then it's not $800, it's $600. And then it's not $600, it's $300. And then you're sitting there going, whoa, where did that go? And then you got to fill up your car, and so then you have nothing left anymore, right? We get that concept when it comes to money, that money is not limitless, that we've got a certain amount, and when we spend it, it goes away. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to our focus and our attention in our lives. You guys do not have the ability to be focused on and be attentive to an unlimited number of things. You have a budget of your attention and your focus. And the question is, what are you spending that on? When you give your focus and you give your attention to something, that means you're not giving it to this group of other things. And man, it may be a great thing that you're saying yes to saying right now for this time, for this season, for this day, for this hour, I'm going to focus and give my attention to this thing. And it's a good thing. But yet by choosing to focus on that, you're saying no to a lot of other good things that you could also focus on. And so you have to make these calls. You have to make these decisions and you have to say, what am I going to pay attention to? What am I going to focus on? What's the best investment of the bandwidth that I have in my life when it comes to what I'm going to let my mind rest on, let my mind dwell on. And so often what we're focused on and what we give our attention to is what we begin to allow to influence us and impact us in our lives. The writer of Hebrews, in our passage that we're going to look at together tonight, is going to make the argument that we need to make sure that we are increasing our attention and increasing our focus on Jesus. That above anything else, with no exceptions, Jesus is the best thing, the best one for us to focus on and give our attention to. And not just with a portion of our lives, but really with everything. The Apostle Paul says, whether we eat or drink, we're to do everything for the glory of God. Well, one of the practical ways that you do that is by focusing on Jesus in everything that you do. That Jesus isn't a priority that you move past on the daily list of things that you need to do after you spend time doing the DBR. No, Jesus is his first place, as Paul says in Colossians 1, he's first place in everything that you do. And our writer here is going to say, hey, look, we need to listen up. We need to pay closer attention to Jesus because of who he is and how much better he is than everything else around us. Hebrews chapter 2, pick up in verse 1. It says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. There are many who have, who have framed the book of Hebrews as a sermon, more so than a letter. Paul wrote some letters. He wrote the letter to 1 Corinthians, uh, or to the, the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians, uh, the letter saying to them, hey, look, you've got some things going on that need correction, and so this is what I, I want you to, to get after doing, right? He wrote Ephesians to give us an understanding of the foundation of our sanctification. The foundation is all the gospel indicatives, all the statements of truth about the gospel. And then in light of that, here's what you need to go do, the gospel imperatives there. Well, the book of Hebrews is more like the author giving us a, a sermon. And as in any sermon that's a, a good sermon, they're not just going to take it and, and 
an unloaded dump truck of a bunch of details and stats and info on you, a bunch of Greek words on you, they're going to then say, and, and here's how that should begin to play itself out in your life, and here's what kind of a difference that should make. And that's what the writer's doing in chapter 2, verse 1. When he says, hey, look, therefore, he's connecting it back to where we've been. Other translations say, for this reason. Well, the New Living Translation says, so we must then pay closer attention to what we have heard. If you recall from Hebrews chapter 1, if maybe you weren't with us at that point in time or, or missed that one, but it, it says this in Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke, right? We talked about the fact that God is not silent, that God has revealed himself and he's done so through his word. And, and the writer here is saying he spoke by our fathers, the prophet. In other words, we have the Old Testament. And saying long ago he spoke that way, but verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. See, when God speaks, he expects us to respond. When God speaks, when God reveals himself to us, he wants us to do something with his revelation. And at the pinnacle of that is Jesus. At the pinnacle of his revelation, of who he is, of his self-revelation, is Jesus. And God wants us to respond to who Jesus is and who he's revealed him to be in the pages of his word. And so this author says, look, therefore, we must pay closer attention. We must pay closer attention. The concept of, is, is this with that, that word for closer attention there. It's that it's increasing every single day. That you never get to a place where you're like, okay, God, you've got enough of my focus, enough of my attention. My son Joshua is super big into magic tricks right now. He's, thank you, Juan. Um, he's doing all these card tricks and everything else. And he'll come up to his mom and I, and all, all the time, it seems like so many times a day, hey, dad, do you want to see magic trick? Dad, do you want to see magic trick? Dad, do you want to see magic trick? And it's like, at this point in time, I need to be a good dad. So I say yes, but I, I know that there's a certain amount of focus I have to give to him while I can still be doing something else. God doesn't work that way. Jesus doesn't work that way. He doesn't want a sliver of your attention while you're busy doing something else. He doesn't want you to just kind of give him five minutes of your day while then you're planning on how you want to spend the rest of your day. But Jesus wants it all. He wants everything. He's jealous for your time. 2 Peter 1, 19, Peter writes this. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He's saying somewhat similar to what the, the writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. He says, look, we've got the prophetic word. What's that? It's the Old Testament. We've got what the, what the prophets were writing about. Peter says, we have it more fully confirmed. How? Because we know Jesus. We know the one who's the fulfillment, the one who's been coming. We've got the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention Pay attention to the word, pay attention to the scriptures, pay attention to Jesus. How? How should I pay attention? As a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, until the resurrection, until we go to be with the Lord, right? Have you guys ever been out in the woods and it's just pitch black and you don't have a flashlight because you forgot that and your mom didn't pack you one for summer camp when you were growing up? Yeah, and it's, it's, this is in the days before iPhones, which all of you guys don't remember, but... I remember just being, I had to find a friend who had a flashlight. Otherwise, I was, I was toast. There's no way I was making it back to my cabin alive. I was going to be eaten by a bear, and there were going to be rattlesnakes that just jumped out of the trees and killed me. Uh, but the flashlight was going to make it all better. Or maybe you grew up and you were a little bit, I don't know, afraid of the dark. Now, nobody's going to admit that, but some of you can know what I'm talking about here. And yet, if the hall light was on or if the, the night light was on, you were okay because you had that comfort blanket there. You had that security blanket of, of there being some light. 
Well, the writer here is saying, look, we need to treat the, the word of God that way. Like, we live in a dark world. We live in a world that we can't predict. We live in a world that we don't know what's coming next, what's coming tomorrow. He says we need to depend on the word of God the way that a, a guy walking on a dark path in the middle of the woods trying to get back to his cabin depends on that flashlight so that he doesn't trip and fall on his face, right? That's what God's word does. And the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus, as the fullness of the revelation, is so good, so right, so much better that he's worthy of our attention. So no matter where you are in the room tonight, no matter where you fall on the spectrum of whether you are in Christ and you're a brand new Christian or you've been in Christ for years and you're, you've been a Christian for years, we all can ratchet up our attention and our focus on Jesus a little bit more. All of us have room to excel still more on this. None of us ever get to the place where we're like, okay, I'm done. I've given you, I've given you enough focus and attention, God. I'm ready to move on to what's next. There is no what's next. Every day, every moment, every single second of our life, Jesus needs to be our focus and our attention. Point number one this evening is this, resolve to pay more attention to Jesus. Resolve, decide to pay more attention to Jesus. And, and here's the, the, the dangerous thing, guys. This is not just about knowledge, but relationship. I think I mentioned this maybe last time that we were together saying, hey, look, being a part of a doctrinally sound church, uh, an expositional preaching church, a, tr a church that preaches the Bible verse by verse is a good thing, but it's a dangerous thing. Growing up saying, hey, I grew up going to Awana. I grew up going to Camp Compass. I grew up with all my buddies. I grew up and, and I was part of the Christian Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts because we love Jesus that much. We were that nerdy that we decided, hey, let's go join the Christian Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. I quit, full disclosure, Nick Schumacher. I quit Boy Scouts after day <laughs> after day one, because I was only in it for the pocket knife. And I found out that I had to wait like years to get that. And I was like, I'm out. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go play baseball. But all of that, your upbringing, you, you were born in the church, not literally, but, but it felt like it raised in the church. You've been around the church. And here's the danger, guys. You can have your confidence be in everything about Jesus without it being in Jesus. Your confidence can be in the fact that you know it, that you've been around it even that you've experienced it a little bit, but not actually in the real deal in a relationship with Jesus. And that's going to be a recurring theme in the book of Hebrews, that there's a danger in being so close and yet so desperately far. There's no such thing as salvation by osmosis. You have to have that relationship with Jesus, and that's what we're talking about here. It's leaning into that more. It's saying, my relationship with Jesus that word there is not about a to-do list. It's not about a checklist. It's not about doing something so I can report it to my accountability partner that, yes, I did this and checked the box. No, it's, a, it's I, I love him and he's the greatest thing in the world and there's nothing better than him. And so I want to follow him. And I need this book because this book helps me understand what it means to follow him. I mean, without him, I'm undone. The writer says, hey, we got to pay closer attention to Jesus. And he says, because if we don't, there's a danger. And that danger is that we drift. Drift. It's a nautical term, right? We were out, all out at San Clemente at the beach maybe a month ago now. And all the same people were out of the water. And Nick Schumacher, um, sorry, Nick, this is the only two times I'm going to call you out, I think, tonight. I, I think, tonight. Nick Schumacher gets his, his spring suit on and he goes out in the water. And like, no, even like the, the hardcore surfers, they're not even in the water anymore. It's just Nick. But I was standing there on the shoreline going, I need to watch him because he could totally disappear and just be gone forever. 
And I like Nick's parents, um, so I didn't, you know, I didn't want to say, hey, Nick is, is toast, um, because I didn't want him to drift. Or have, how many of you guys have been in a lazy river before? Yeah, some of those bad boys need to turn down the current a little bit, right? Because you're going around, and you're flying, and you're gaining speed, and then you know where your exit is, and you know where you want to get out, and you're trying to get across, and there's all these people in their tubes, in their rafts, that are causing regressive sanctification as you're trying to battle your way through to get to your exit. And you try and you try and you try and you reach and, and lunge for the bar right as, as at the last second and you, it slips and you're going back around again. <laughs> that's sliding by. That's the, what the word here in the Greek means. We can slide by Jesus if we're not careful, guys. Every intention, but we're caught up in the currents of the world and all of a sudden we're gone. What does this look like? What does this kind of mindset look like? Well, let me describe it in a, a few ways for you. First, it, it could take the form of, of apathy. You, just, you don't really care. Jesus is, is a great thing as long as it doesn't get all that too intensely personal in your life. But really, I could take it or leave it. It's not really something that I feel like I really need. Apathy. Second is, is familiarity. That's a little bit of what I've just been talking about. You're so familiar with the things about Jesus that they've lost their wonder. They've, they've lost their value. They've lost their amazing impact that they should have on us. Your senses have become dull because it's just common for you now. Which can often then lead to this third attitude, which is the attitude of contempt. Yeah, sure, Jesus gospel. Yes, I am a sinner and I, I need to be saved and Jesus is my savior. Okay, next. Let's move on. What's, what's next? Here's a word for you. Antinomianism. It's a word that means anti-law. In other words, this is the mindset that says, well, yeah, I love Jesus, but I also love all my sin. And if you're asking me to choose between the two of them, man, I'm going to throw back at you that um, for by grace I'm saved through faith alone and not by works. So don't bring your, your telling me I need to, to not sin thing at me because I'm going to throw the, the grace card at you. Well, yes, we are saved by grace through faith and not of our works. But the, the faith that saves, as James would say, what? It works. It changes our life. It transforms us. And we can't have this mindset that I don't need to obey the Lord. That's a wrong mindset. That's drifting from the Lord. Forgetfulness. Man, this one overtakes us so often. And you know where I think that the greatest danger for forgetfulness is? I think it's Monday morning. You've had a weekend where you've been around the church. You've been at church. Hopefully you've been at the bridge. And you're around other Christians and you're having good conversations and you're encouraging each other and you're praying with each other and things are going well. And then Monday morning hits and it's like, it's like you step into another realm. You step into another life. And all of a sudden, all the stuff that you just heard on the weekend, it's out of your mind and you're not really thinking about it and really living it out anymore. Because we're forgetful people. All of this at the end of the day is, is expression of our pride. that we don't think we really need it as much, that we don't think we really need to focus on Jesus as much or love Jesus that much, that we're, we're okay. A 
couple other ways that you can diagnose. Okay, those are kind of the broad categories that I just talked about there, but how does that practically work itself out? What are some of the things that you might be thinking, might be experiencing? Well, first, how about a, a lack of desire to be in the Word? You just don't really feel like you need the Bible. You listen to sermons. Maybe you even listen to podcasts. You're going to go that far. Be super spiritual. You listen to John Piper. But then when it comes to, hey, are you reading the Bible just daily? Are you, are you spending time in the Word? Because, again, you love Jesus so much you want to you follow him, and this book helps us understand what that looks like. When it comes to that, you're like, yeah, I'm, I don't, I'm too busy. Lack of desire for the Word. Second, reading the Word is a, a to-do. I've talked about this in bef before in here, guys, but if you have checked every box on your DBR card and you've been consistent every single day, and yet every single day you approach it as just something that you're supposed to do, and you're not doing anything with it as far as cultivating a relationship with God, you are wasting your time and missing the point. Again, this, this book is a, a book about what does it look like to follow Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? That's why we read the book. Not to, to say, okay, I, I did my daily Bible reading, so let's move on. I can answer that. I can check that box. I can send that text. Uh, third, not attending church. And I'm not talking about the bridge here, guys. I love seeing this room full. Believe me, having gone through the 20s and the 30s, I love seeing this room full. Love it. In fact, we may have to move into West, right? But here's the deal, y'all. This is an extension of church. This is not church itself. You guys should be in the body of Christ at large on Saturday nights at 5 or on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11. You should be here with the body of Christ. You should be worshiping with your church family. And if you're just showing up here and you're not attending church and you're showing up here and you're thinking, my friends are here, so I want to go be there because it's easy to be there. I like to worship there. I like to whatever there. There's, there's a problem. Because God wants you and your giftedness in the body of Christ at large, right? Fourth, it looks like not praying with regularity. There's just this, this distance between you and the Lord where you're just not praying. Where all of a sudden you, you think to yourself one day, when's the last time that I actually prayed and you just can't remember? That wasn't before a meal. Not praying with regularity, not cultivating that communication with the Lord. Consistently losing the battle with sin. That you've got tread marks from the 18-wheeler the of your flesh that are just all over you because you continually get run over by your fleshly desires and lust week after week, day after day. It's a sign that you probably are drifting from that relationship with the Lord. Possessing a critical heart or spirit towards other people, especially towards believers. In fact, if you were there this morning or last night, Pastor Mike's first point was expect imperfections in the church, right? We are going to be imperfect people who are going to sin against one another. But, I mean, we've got to be willing to forgive each other. We've got to be willing to, to love one another that much and not harbor this critical heart and spirit towards other people and to, especially towards, towards other Christians. few more. Lacking a desire to be around Christians who will challenge you. 
Notice that last part there. That's key. Not just lacking the desire to be around other Christians. You may say, yeah, I'm good. I'll, I'll go hang out with other Christians. That's fine. But you want to hang out with other Christians where you know that none of them are going to say, hey, how's your time in the Word going? How's your prayer time going? Hey, how's, how's your purity doing right now? How's your relationship with your boyfriend? How's your relationship with your girlfriend? You want to go hang out with other Christians that are cultural Christians that are willing to say, hey, let's, let's just go hang out and go see that movie together. We don't have to talk about anything serious. Let's just go chill at the beach together. And this goes hand in hand. The next one, avoiding accountability. Not wanting to be held accountable to following the Lord. Not wanting to be held accountable to, to really obeying what the Lord has called you to do. Another extension of that is lying to your accountability partner. Accountability is only as, as valuable to you as, as you're willing to be truthful to your accountability partner. But you can lie all day to your accountability partner. And you're not hurting anyone but yourself. Rationalizing or excusing your sin. Another sign of, of drifting. And then just generally not giving much thought to the Lord throughout your day. And some in the room tonight probably need to wake up and, and ask yourself, can I still see the shore? Can I still see Jesus? Or if I drifted so far that I'm, 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 I'm lost. Y'all, Christianity does not come easily. Being a believer, being a follower of Jesus is not easy. It's not a passive thing. You are saved by God, okay? God acts upon you to save you. That's, that's as, as passive as it gets right there. Because from then that moment forward, because he makes you a new creation in Christ, it's about you waging war against your flesh and against your old man, against your old woman, against who you used to be, and, and saying, now I want to be more like Jesus. I want to follow Jesus because Jesus is better because I love Jesus. So how am I going to do that? Well, I need to, to be in his word. I need to be around his people. I need to be at the church so I can know what it looks like to follow Jesus. I need to follow people that are already following Jesus that are outpacing me. I need to walk with people that are with me in this. I need to do this. See that Christianity is about action. It's about activity. Christianity doesn't happen to you. Sanctification doesn't happen to you. It's you working with the Spirit, you working with God to produce that, that Christ-likeness in you. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Look at his words here. Paul says, I discipline my body and I keep it under control. The ESV is super woke with that phrase because you know what it says in the, the original language? I make it my slave. Paul says, I, I make my flesh my slave unless I should preach Christ to people and then find that I'm disqualified at the end. Do you, do you get that, that sense of, of man, I'm, I'm fighting against my, my lust and my desires and what my flesh wants? Take your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This, this passage was too big to, to throw up on the screen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want you to, again, look at how Paul describes the Christian life here. And ask yourself, okay, is this where I'm at? Is this, am I in the ballpark here? Pick up in verse 16 with me. 
Paul says, so we do not lose heart. We don't become discouraged. Though our outer self, though our flesh is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Man, Paul was going through physical pain. He was going through emotional pain. He was going through anxiety and stress. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. I mean, all name it, and Paul experienced it. And he says this light momentary affliction here on this earth is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're here and then they're gone. But the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, if this body breaks down, if I get cancer and it wastes away, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, if this earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we were still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal, my flesh, may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, here it is. Tune in, zoom in right here. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Jesus. And then he goes on to say, because all of us are going to have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for what we've done in the body, whether good or evil. Do you guys see the, 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 the mindset and the attitude of Paul that's like, dude, get me out of this thing. Get me out of this earthly tent. We read it in Philippians. What does Paul say there? For me to live is Christ, but to die, to die is, is gain. And I desire that. I, I, I want to be with Jesus. I don't want to be here anymore. And Paul's not suicidal because he knows as long as he's here, he's got work to be doing. But, but y'all, I'm asking you the question, is this the Christianity that you signed up for here? To say, whatever God brings your way, man, this light momentary affliction is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory. To say, man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not at home right now. I, I, I don't feel at home in this world. I'm away from my Savior. I, I want to be there. That's home. And look, whether I'm at home or away, you, I've got one focus, one aim. You know what it is? I, I, I aim to please Jesus. Guys, is that where, where you are? Is that where your heart is? Are you aiming to please Jesus with everything that you have? Again, all of this flows out of our paying closer attention to Jesus. Saying, Lord, I want more of you in my life. I want to learn more about you. I want to know you more. I want to follow you more. Aiming to please. Do you aim to please Christ when you're alone, when you're by yourself, when you're not with anyone here? Are you aiming to please Christ in those situations? in your thought life, in your heart, at home, by yourself. Again, is, is your mindset, okay, I want to love you, Jesus. I want to please you, Jesus. I want to exalt you, Jesus. I want to glorify you, Jesus, with everything that I do. Are you aiming to please Jesus when you're with unbelieving friends? Or are you a different person in that context? You're with unbelieving friends, and the stuff comes out that you know you shouldn't participate in as a believer in Jesus. 
are you still willing to draw the line to say, hey, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that because, look, I, I love Christ too much to participate in what you guys are asking me to participate in. Is your aim to please Jesus? How about when you're with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Is your mindset to please Jesus? How about when you're driving and somebody cuts you off? Is your mindset, I want to please Jesus and how I respond right now? When you're at school, you're taking your classes, is your mindset, I want to please Jesus? Not my professor. I want to please Christ right now. And look, here's the deal, guys. Every single one of us in this room, myself included, are going to fail at this daily. Daily. And that's where we can praise God for his grace and his mercy in our lives. That he doesn't say, get away from me. You are such a wretched failure. And God should say that to me, guys. He should say that to me. And it's only his grace that he doesn't. But what we need to understand is, our, is daily, guys, our aim needs to be, I want to please Jesus. And if you fall, here's the thing about the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that you're forgiven and you can repent and you can ask for forgiveness. And then you can say, okay, now back on track. My aim right now is to please Jesus. So pay closer attention to Jesus. This is what we're talking about here. Because there's the, the danger of drifting that we talked about. Look back in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. The writer says, For the, Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or, or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Okay, let's do some legwork here, right? The message declared by angels, what in the world? Okay, that's, that's the law. That's the Old Testament law. In fact, there's scriptures like Deuteronomy 33.2. We don't have time to go, to go there. Acts 7.38, Galatians 3.19. All three of those refer to the angels being involved in the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Not that they were the ones speaking the law. We believe that that was God, that that was Yahweh. However, there's the, the thought as much as we can understand. And there's part of this where we have to step back and say, okay, God, you're bigger than me. And I don't fully grasp this other than that the angels were around and they were involved because your word verifies that. But there's the thought that the angels may have been involved in the, the physical transcribing of the law onto the, the tablets, onto the Ten Commandments. And giving those to Moses. But all that to say, don't lose the author's point in, in, in the weeds here. His point is, look, the, the Old Testament law proved reliable. In other words, when Israel disobeyed God, guess what? They suffered punishment for that. They, Numbers chapter 16, Korah's rebellion. Korah was rebelling against Moses, God's anointed one. You guys remember what happened to Korah and all of his family? God said, hey, everybody back up from Korah. Good idea to, to do that when God says that. And then what happened? The ground opened up and swallowed them relatively intense. Or Numbers 21, Israel's grumbling against the Lord's will for them, and God responds by sending poisonous snakes into the camp. And they end up coming into the camp, and they end up biting, and some of the Israelites die as a result of that. We see it. Or how about just the history of Israel? What happened after the divided kingdom? Israel went into exile. Babylon showed up. 
book of Habakkuk. You read that, Habakkuk's like, Lord, you've got to do something because the Israelites, they're all wicked and they're all horrible. God says, okay, I will. I'm bringing the Babylonians. Habakkuk says, not that. And God says, Habakkuk, chill, I've got it. This is my version of Habakkuk, by the way. Habakkuk, chill, I've, I've got it. I'm going to handle them too, right? But God sent them into exile. All that to say, look, the Old Testament law proved reliable. If, if people failed to obey it, there was punishment. And here's the thing. Our author says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a what? Salvation. Now, the first thing that we need to do to be able to understand where he's going here is to believe that this is a great salvation. People ask a lot, hey, what's, what's your favorite verse in scripture? That's not true. Let me, hold on, let me back up. The Insta stories that like, people always ask me about my skincare product. No, they don't. No, they don't. They don't. So people don't always ask me what my favorite passage is. But occasionally I'll get the, the question, hey, what's your favorite passage of scripture? This has to be up there near the top. Just the imagery that Paul uses here. Paul says this, he says, look, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You were rebelling against God. But God made you alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is the great salvation that we're talking about here. Y'all ever ordered food online and got to pick it up at the store and, and, and there's some shady business going on and it's not ready when you first get there and you're going, dude, they're going to screw up my order. There's no doubt in my mind that this is not going to end well. So they bring the bag out to you, they hand the bag to you and it's got the receipt taped to the bag. Have you ever taken the receipt and looked in and checked to make sure that all of the, the items are there? Just me? Okay. Um, yeah, a few of you have. But you're looking at the receipt, you're going, okay, yeah, I ordered that, I ordered that, I ordered that. And then you're looking over here at the totals and you're going, yeah, $14.99, $5.99, $7.99. And you're looking at the price and then down at the, the bottom is, is the total. That's your record of debt. You owe that for that food, right? What God is saying is, is all of us have that against him. All of us have that against him. All of us, Paul says in Romans 3.23, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? absolute, perfect, holy obedience to God. You say, well, Pastor PJ, that's impossible. Exactly. That's Paul's point. All of us have fallen short of that. All of us have sinned. So all of us have this record of debt against us. And y'all have been to CVS, right? And bought like toothpaste and gotten a six foot long receipt. In fact, one of my favorite things that we've done so far on a, an outing with the bridge is Matt Bates had a receipt from CVS and we measured the receipt against Matt Bates and it was taller than Matt Bates was. And it, we had bought like thumbtacks. Like it was just one thing and then just this long thing. Okay, here's the deal, y'all. Your record of debt against God is longer by an infinite amount than a CVS receipt. And it's not just one thing. It's everything. In fact, so offensive are we to a holy God apart from Jesus that Isaiah says even the good things that we do are repugnant to God because we do them with wrong motives. That's us and God comes and he takes that receipt from us and he fixes it to his son on the cross. And all of the wrath that we deserve, all the punishment that we deserve, like I was talking about the Old Testament, the ground opening up and these fiery serpents and stuff, all that stuff that should happen to us, now it, it happened to Jesus on the cross for us so that it won't happen to us. And we, in, in, in turn, we are forgiven by God. We're forgiven trust that Jesus died for our sins. We're forgiven. 
That's why the writer says this is a great salvation. But his warning is, look, we need to be careful that we're not neglecting that great salvation. Because if we reject it, if we ignore it, if we drift from it, if we don't trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, how much greater are the consequences going to be for that than they were for disobeying the Old Testament law? Right back in chapter 1, long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now in these last days, he has spoken to us by something better, his son, Jesus. Point number two tonight is this. Fear the outcome of drifting from Jesus. Fear the outcome of drifting from Jesus. Heaven and hell are real places. And we need to make sure that we understand the reality of hell so that we'll understand the danger of drifting from Jesus, which is going to motivate us to pay more attention to him and follow him. So bear with me for a second. I'm not, this is not fire and brimstone. But look, if you're not in Christ, I, I want you to, to think about these concepts that I'm about to throw up here on the screen for you that Jesus himself uses to describe hell. And if that makes you uncomfortable, my first inclination to say is, is I'm, I'm, I'm glad for that because there's good news that you don't have to stay apart from Christ, but you can be forgiven tonight. So if this list makes you uncomfortable, if you're sitting out there going, I think, I think that's going to be my future if I don't do something, talk to me afterwards. Come find me afterwards and we'll, we'll sit down and we can do business with the Lord right now tonight and see that that will not be your future. But bear with me because it's important for us to understand this, even as believers, because it's gonna help us in our fear of the Lord to know the, the danger that we face apart from Christ. So here's Jesus describing hell. The first thing he, he does is he uses a word in the Greek called Gehenna. Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A, which is another name for a valley nearby Jerusalem where there was a, a continual fire that was burning full of garbage and dead bodies. And that's how Jesus chose to refer most often to hell. It's a, probably the closest earthly image that people there could have had to the horrid nature of it. But here's from the Bible, some of the descriptions. Matthew 25, 46, hell is a place of eternal punishment. Hell is not a place where we go and are vaporized. Hell is not a place where we go and eventually die. Hell is not a place where we go and are, are destroyed. In fact, every single person has an immortal body awaiting them. If you are in Christ, that's an immortal body prepared for glory. If you are apart from Christ, that's an immortal body prepared for eternal punishment. It's a body that will be able to feel all of the pain, all of the sorrow, all of the heartache, all of the depression, all of the despair, and yet it will never break. He describes hell as a place of eternal fire. 
you've ever burned yourself, it's not a pleasant experience. Nobody sits there and holds their hand on the stove or in a fireplace. Similarly, in Matthew 13, 50, Jesus describes hell as a place that is a fiery furnace. Matthew 13, 42, it's a place worth weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are those that are in hell suffering. They're grinding their teeth in pain and despair, gnashing their teeth, weeping. In Mark 9, 48, he actually says, their worm, meaning the worms that are infesting the people that are in hell, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. In Luke 16, 23, he simply says it's a place of torment. And then finally, in Matthew 8, 12, it's a place of outer darkness. But here's the problem that we face, y'all, that we have to, to work to overcome, and that is this. This seems so distant and separate and far from us. Because the ground's not opening up anymore. And we're not getting fiery servants, serpents that are coming in here when we rebel against the will of God. And so we think that it's not that big of a deal anymore, that it's not that great of an offense against God anymore. And we, we downplay the severity of our rebellion and the, the, the penalty that we owe God. And the cross becomes trivial because we think, well, yeah, Jesus died and suffered under the wrath of God, but these are now amorphous and ambiguous concepts that we don't really entertain as, as real or valid in our, our minds or in our, our hearts anymore. And we think, okay, well, that's, that's great. I'm glad he did that, but it doesn't really matter to me anymore. So we drift and don't think it's a big deal because we're not suffering any consequences in the moment. There aren't any lightning bolts. But let me maybe illustrate it this way. You can use a vape and not suffer immediate consequences. You can use a vape and think, what's the big deal? People are doing it. It's not fine. Not, not doing anything to me right now. I enjoy it. It's fun. I'm legal. What's the problem? But if you use a vape for a prolonged period of time, eventually you will suffer serious and even life-threatening consequences. See, because as you're going along using the vape, thinking it's no big deal, nothing's happening to me, inside your body you're storing up harmful toxins and chemicals that are attacking your lungs and attacking your respiratory system and doing damage that can be irreversible at times. So that eventually, and you don't know when, they're gonna stop working. So every time you were hitting that vape, thinking it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's not doing anything to me. You were storing up a consequence that was gonna be the gravest and most severe of all consequences. Paul says this in Romans 2.5. He says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, 
you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So you're sinning right now, you're in sin right now, you're thinking it's no big deal for me, it's no, no problem for me, whatever, don't worry about it. It doesn't seem like God even cares because I'm not being stopped and I'm not being struck by a lightning bolt and yay the cross, right? Well, there's a danger that you may not be in Christ and if you're not in Christ, then what Paul's saying right here is what your reality is. Just like that vape is storing up damage internally for you, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is to be revealed. And every single sinful act is doing that. It's depositing wrath in your account that one day you're going to suffer. Okay, but what if I am in Christ? Well, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.10. I alluded to it earlier. In fact, we read the, the passage leading up to that. Right after he says, we make it our aim to please Jesus, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. For you who are a Christian and in Christ, there's going to be a day where you're going to have to appear before Jesus and, and, and answer, give an account for your life. And so we need to fear the consequences of drifting. Look, guys, salvation is more than fire insurance, but it's not less than. Salvation is more than a get-out-of-hell-free card, but it's not less than. Hell is to be feared. Eternal damnation is to be terrifying. And the answer is Jesus. The answer is holding fast to Jesus, increasing our focus on Jesus. You know, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Jesus spoke more about hell than any other biblical figure in the New Testament. Why do you think that was? Because he wanted people to understand the danger. He was warning them, saying, look, if you continue this way, this is the outcome. But there's an answer, and the answer is faith and repentance in Christ so that you will be saved. But it's just that, right? You have to know what you are being saved from to want to be saved in the first place. Otherwise, it's like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll add some Jesus to my life for a while and see if it works out. And so if you're out there and you're mired in sin, you're stuck in sin Maybe your mindset has been the drifting mindset which says this, well, I'll overcome that one later. Not today. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll stop tomorrow. Or maybe the drifting mindset says, I'll, I don't want to deal with this right now. I'll, just, I'll deal with it later. I'll, I'll find out what God really thinks about this later. I don't really care right now what he thinks about it. Or maybe you say, uh, well, I'll, I'll stop eventually. Eventually, I'll stop. Eventually, I'll, I'll, I'll read the right verse in the Bible, and then all of a sudden, I'll just stop wanting to do that. I'll pray the right prayer, and then I'll just stop. I won't do it anymore. Or maybe you think, I'm just interested in having fun right now. Why do we even need to worry about all this? Or maybe you think, I'll change when I get older. Let me ask you a question. What do you think will change about following Jesus to make it easier when you get older? Because can I just tell you, as somebody older than, than you right now, it doesn't get easier to follow Jesus as you get older. Age doesn't make you more spiritually mature. It just makes you an older sinner. 
And so if you're thinking, man, when I get older, then I'm not going to struggle with this. I'm not going to battle with this. I'm not going to have this sin in my life. You're fooling yourself. The answer is not growing up. The answer is growing closer to Jesus. Leaning in more to Jesus. And part of that is wrestling with the fear of drifting from Jesus. Final point is shorter tonight. I know these first two have been long. Bear with me. Back in verse 3. It was declared at first by the Lord. What was declared at first by the Lord? We'll go back to to chapter 2 again, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The salvation. The salvation was declared at first by the Lord, by Jesus, and it was attested to us, in other words, to the recipients of the letter of the Hebrews and to the writer, by those who heard, by the apostles, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The writer here is giving us the the gospel pedigree for him and and his, his readers. He's saying, look, Jesus is the first one to to come on the scene and say, hey, repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And then the writer's saying, hey, and and we then heard the message from the people that were close to Jesus, from the disciples, from the apostles. They heard Jesus preach the gospel, then they went out and preached the gospel. And the writer's saying, and we heard it from them. Oh, and and beyond that, there were all these signs and wonders and, and miracles that we saw happen. We read about those in the Bible, right? Jesus takes water and changes water to wine. Jesus walks on the water. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus calms the storm. He casts out the demons. He heals the lepers. He raises Lazarus from the dead. But do you know what Jesus said his purpose was? It's in Mark's gospel. It's, it's toward the beginning. It's right towards the, the, start, the upstart of Jesus' ministry. He's up and he's, he's at Peter's mother-in-law's house healing people all night long. And crowds are just massive because, hey, he's casting out demons. He's raising the lame. He's doing all these things. This is amazing. Whoa. We've never seen anything like this. Oh, and he's teaching in a way that none of the scribes or Pharisees teach like this guy does. He's got a power behind his word. But, man, this is entertaining. He's famous. We want to be around him. So he's up late, and then it says he rose early the next morning and went off to a desolate place to be by himself and to pray, to be with his father. And the disciples are going, where did Jesus go? Did you lose him? Who lost him? This is not going to go well for us. Who lost Jesus? Whose watch was it? So they go out and look for him, and they finally find Jesus, and Jesus says to them, hey, look, I I was with my father. I was praying. And then he says, look, we need to leave. They're sitting there still going, what happened? He's like, come on, we need to go. Let's pack up our things because we need to go to the next town because I need to. And here's what Jesus says. I need to preach the good news for that is why I was sent. He doesn't say I need to go heal more people. He doesn't say I need to go do more miracles. He doesn't say I need to go walk on the water. I need to feed the 5,000. I need to raise Lazarus from the dead. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I need to go preach the good news. So why all the miracles? in part, to get people's attention. So they would stop and look at him and go, there's something different about this guy and there's something different about what he's preaching. There's something different about the gospel. And that's what the writer's saying here. He's saying, hey, Jesus preached it. The, gospel, the disciples heard it. They preached it to us. We heard it. But beyond that, there were all these signs and miracles and, and wonders that no one else could do and we can't explain it other than, hey, this guy's from God and the message is from God. 
But then he goes on and he says, and also there's also the, the, the testifying of the gifts of the Holy Spirit dis- distributed according to his will. That the, the early church was about healing, miracles, prophecy, languages, interpretation, all of these active in the early church. Why? Because they were going out doing a new thing and people were watching them going, hey, can we believe in what you're doing? And all of a sudden they were seeing the apostles heal people. They were seeing people speak in foreign languages when they never knew them and people stand up and interpret that. They were seeing prophecy take place. And they're going, whoa, this is something that's, that we need to listen to and pay attention to. But it wasn't about the miracles. It wasn't about the signs. It wasn't about the gifts. It was about the message. It was about the amazing salvation. And the writer's going, look, we can trust it. There's no denying the validity of it. It came from Jesus through the apostles to us. And it was supported by these miracles, these wonders, these signs, and these gifts. And we can only sit here and go, it's legit. That's what he's saying here. And so here's the final point tonight is this, put the message to the test. Everything that I've been preaching about tonight, about following Jesus, loving Jesus, because Jesus is better and you need salvation. He took the the record of debt and he put it on Jesus. All of that stuff that we've been talking about tonight, guys, put it to the test. If you're out there and you're skeptical, you're still on the fence and you're saying, I I don't know. Look, the, the scriptures in the gospel is undefeated in reliability. There are brilliant, brilliant minds out there doing everything they can to undermine the scripture. And look, if they were successful, everyone would know about it. And the argument used to be, well, we live in a Christian nation, so they're just shut up. Yeah, look around today. How Christian is our nation? Not. If somebody came forward and said, I can disprove the Bible, they would be on every major news network today. The Bible's undefeated. In reliability. Its message is undeniable in validity. And let me just encourage you, if you're out there and you're the skeptic because you've been influenced by your profs and you've been influenced by your teachers, you've been influenced by your parents, you've been influenced by other people in your life, let me encourage you to do the legwork yourself and put it to the test. Investigate its claims. You know what's awesome? There's a lot of books written out there by people that said, okay, I'll do that. And guess what happened? God saved them in that process. Because they were like, okay, I'm going to go disprove the Bible. And God's like, yeah, okay. No, I'm going to save you. And then I'm going to use you to testify to its validity. Look, if, if you want an application point for this tonight, if I can challenge you for an application point on this, not in a self-serving way at all, because it's just going to make more work for me. But next semester at CBI, I'm teaching a class on apologetics. So if you want to to come and and entertain some of these arguments, both the arguments for and against, sign up for that class. Come take it, and we'll walk through it. And if I fail to show you, then you can leave me a really bad CBI prof review. You can go and rate my professor and just trash me. That's fine. I'm okay with it. Because I don't don't think it's going to fail, because it's not me, it's, it's God. Put the message to the test. Sorry, I was prepping for this, and the the Beauty and the Beast song kept popping in my mind. (laughs) The candles, be our guest, be our guest, put our message to the test. Um, Yeah. So guys, if you were to take an inventory of your life, where do you spend your attention? Where do you spend your focus? How much of it goes to Jesus? 
if you were to make a pie chart of your daily focus time, how much of that pie does Jesus have? And here's the thing. If it's not everything, there's room for you to improve. And here's what I know. That means there's room for all of us in this room to improve our focus on Christ. All of us can run harder towards Jesus, focus more on Jesus, give his word more attention. Say, I love him, I want to follow him, and his word helps me understand what that looks like. And so let's set ourselves towards that end because he truly is better. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for Christ. We're grateful for his sacrifice for us, thankful for the gospel, thankful for the good news that the gospel contains, that we are no longer guilty, that that record of debt, that that long list, that long receipt that showed all of our sin, every single one of our sins listed out in and where the, the, the price is, what we owe, it said death, 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 death. And look, we could not pay it, God. It was insurmountable. It was over anything that we could ever hope to, to, to make up for. We could not. We owed everything and we could not make the payment. And yet you came in out of your grace and out of your overwhelming mercy for us. You grabbed that from us and you affixed it to Jesus on the cross and you killed him in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed, and so that we can now follow Christ with all of our lives. And Lord, we want to increase our focus, our attention on him, our love for him. Guard us, protect us, everyone in this room against drifting from Jesus. Lord, and encourage us with the, the confidence that the message is trustworthy, and we know that it is true. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.